Oh my god, it's a giant insect in the sky! Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Melissa Kirscher and Wendy Bowlesby. Welcome, listeners, to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am Melissa, and this is my co-host... Wendy. And we are here once again with Mr. Pat Harrigan. Hi! Yay! Yay! The love boat had so many guest stars just like us. And Pat. So, So, yeah, we we love having Pat on our show. Yeah, Pat is a very delightful... For his fourth episode with us, which may be some sort of record. Well, I don't know. It's weird, because Noel did four episodes, but it was really just because... Because he just talked for so long. (laughs) Yeah. We love you, Noel. It was one night, four episodes. Mm -hmm. That's a man who can really go along long way yeah. you're just saying kelvin yeah. on a bunch right yeah oh that's true he might have been on four i don't know mm, i don't know we'll have to do some counting but pat is here for his fourth episode yeah fuck you kelvin yeah. <laughs> just remember it's kind of like saturday night live once you hit that third that third night of recording the whole special green room happens yeah and all that yeah shit. you get the membership card after that <laughs> so so yes pat is back and he brought us wine and um <clears throat> He brought us black ink red wine from California. From California. And uh, it has images of squid on, or no, an octopus. It has, no, it was a squid on the top. Was it? No, I think it was an octopus. No, we can, we can, Wait, no, hold on, we can confirm this. It's a squid. This. No, it's totally a squid. Is that a squid? It, it's that, totally House Greyjoy. That, oh, that is. No, wait, <laughs> hold on, one, two, three, four, five, six. There's totally the wrong number of ca- uh, tentacles for anything. Well, there. I feel like the head is elongated like a squiddy. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe it's been wounded. How about this? We're going to call it an arthropod. It's not an arthropod. It's a cephalopod. <laughs> cephalopod. Pardon me. Whatever. Arthropod's different. Yeah. You're thinking of the Martians. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It doesn't matter. It's many tentacled and it's appropriate. And which is why we decided to drink it for our episode on... Quatermass. 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 So, dear listeners, if you're not a British TV nerd, uh, you might not know what Quatermass is. I actually did not. Okay. So... At our last recording with Pat, he brought up that he wanted to do Quatermass. I have heard about Quatermass for years. I want to make that clear. This is something that keeps getting referenced around me, and I had never, like, done the work on it. And so Melissa's like, here's what you need to do. You probably don't have time, because this was a couple of days ago. You don't have time to watch all the shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, To watch all of it, because there's really a lot. There is a lot. She's like, watch Quatermass in the Pit, the Hammer Films, uh, 1967. Mm -hmm. I almost said 57, but it's 67, which is the last Quatermass. And then you can also watch the first, you can watch two episodes of the first BBC miniseries, The Quatermass Experiment. Right. So which Mm -hmm. nicely bookends it. Yeah. And that is what I did. And so now I have at least a framing 
of this seminal British work so that I can also jump in with opinions that are Holy shit, this is so British. <laughs> I also have an ill-informed, ill-informed opinion. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yours is probably much less ill-informed than mine. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, yeah, my experience with Quatermass is I'm a fan of Quatermass in the Pit, the Hammer film. And um, I'm also a fan of Nigel Neal, the writer of Quatermass, uh, thanks to not just Quatermass in the Pit, but I'm a big fan of the Stone Tape which is something he uh, wrote for British TV in the early 70s, mm. uh, which Ken Height said, here, watch this. And I went, what is this? And I go, oh, this I... is awesome. Okay, I'm interested. So when Pat... Put it on the list, Melissa. Yeah, so mm -hmm. when so when uh, Pat suggested Quatermass, I went, oh, this is a great excuse to pour Quatermass into my eyeballs. And there's so much of it. So much Quatermass. Yeah. Okay, so, so I feel like we should ground this yes. in like a base mm. set of knowledge if you would like to take the floor pat i've got this one excellent so in the 1950s mm -hmm. there were three quatermass miniseries broadcast on british television mm -hmm. quatermass experiment quatermass 2 and quatermass in the pit that's something like 1954 1956 i have 1952 uh -huh. 1955 and 1958 thank you i had it written down the first two of those, Quatermass Experiment, Quatermass 2, were made into movies by Hammer Films pretty much right away, yes. within a few years of their broadcast. The third one, Quatermass in the Pit, took another 10 years. Mm -hmm. so it was late 60s by the time that got broadcast. Um, there, there was a fourth TV a, series. Yes, uh, which was just called Quatermass. It was mm -hmm. in the mid to late 60s. No, it was 1970. I mean, I'm sorry, mid to late 70s. 1979. Thank you. Yep. Um, it also had a theatrical release as the Quatermass Conclusion. Mm -hmm. It was cut approximately in half for that. Right. Um, <clears throat> and then the very final thing is a radio broadcast called the Quatermass Memoirs which is a fictional interview with the scientist Bernard Quatermass interspersed with a real interview with his creator, Nigel Neal. Mm -hmm. And this was the last thing that Neal wrote about Quatermass. Mm -hmm. It was just a few years... Uh, yeah, 1996. 1996. Yes. Okay. And, and although that's not the last one because in 2005, there was another right. remake done for British television recorded live. Yes. Um, featuring a pre-Doctor Who, David Tennant. Yep. Mm -hmm. And Jason Fleming and Mark Gatiss. Yes, Mark Gatiss. Everything. Yes. Jason um, Fleming as well. Yeah, yes. seriously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you see him, you're like, that dude. So There's a few other yeah. things that might be worth mentioning. Too. Oh, and, and like X the Unknown. X the Unknown specifically. Yep. So the story here is that Hammer Films, and we're going to talk about more about this too, when they did the Quatermass Experiment, it was such a big hit mm -hmm. that they approached Nigel Neal about writing a film sequel to mm -hmm. it. And he said no, or I think maybe he just didn't allow them to use the character of Quatermass. So they wrote a very Quatermass-like movie, but with a completely different scientist. And that's that movie stars Dean Jagger and Leo McKern. It's called X the Unknown. Mm -hmm. and it's very much in the vein of Quatermass, although it's a little bit off to the side. Yeah. So we have a total mm -hmm. of 10 different properties that we're going to be talking about. Yes. And, and some of them are remakes of others. Does that yeah, count the stone tape? Most of them, most um, of them not, It doesn't remakes. count the stone tape because that's not directly Quatermass, but it's very Nigel Neal. We should talk about it. I also want to talk about one other Nigel Neal 
television production, The Year of the Sex Olympics. Sex Olympics. Okay. Yes, wait, we can wait. do that. Sex or sex? Sex. sex. Well then, yes, that sounds fucking. That sounds yes. interesting. Yes, I, I I believe those are relevant in context. So we have a dozen things that we're going to talk about. Okay, all right then. At least okay. a dozen. I could talk all night. About <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Prince of Darkness. Let's talk about okay. Yeah, I'll, Prince I'll of Darkness. Now. We definitely yeah. have to touch upon. But well, how do you want to begin this? Let's. There's there's a. Yeah. I have an idea. There's about there are really four central Quatermass texts. Yes. Experiment to Pit. And Quatermass Conclusion. I agree. Yes. And in my usual sort of fussy, stupid way, I categorize these as to what they're about. Okay. Okay. So Quatermass 1 is about aliens invading bodies. Yes. Yes. 2 is about aliens invading minds. Mm-hmm. Okay. 3, Pitt, mm-hmm. is about aliens invading our history. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Quatermass Conclusion is about aliens invading our future. In the okay. form of the youth. Yes. Oh. So this. Well, you are so clever. Very nice. Well Nicely done. done. My, my English wow. degree is coming to work for you. Wow. So that's it's a little bit artificial to put it into that format, but I think it's helpful to start there, maybe because it gives you a sort of sense of the scope of what Nigel Neal is talking about here, and it indicates. Uh, a little bit, too, that the narratives of all of these shows are very different. Mm-hmm. All of them are very different from one another. They don't tell the stories in the same way. They're not about the same yeah. things. Yep. For for being alien invasion stories, they are, they do feel very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, there's this um, amazing kind of mashup of what you would traditionally think of as magic or ghosts or paranormal with hard science. And it, it, I, I really like that the border that Neil plays with there. And you see that in the stone tape too. Yeah. Um, Really, it comes into focus with P- Quatermass in the Pit. Yeah, Quatermass in the Pit. Yeah, I, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll get you, to that. Dear listeners, if you watch one thing from this episode, <laughs> it's the Hammer Films Quatermass in the Pit because it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It stands alone. It will make you go, I want more. Oh, yes. Because I, I did. I was watching. I'm like, this is fantastic. I, I want more. I wish I had more time. So I feel like before we launch into the discussion of the individual properties, we should talk a little bit about Nigel Neal because this is all Nigel Neal's baby. Yeah. Nigel Neal was a TV writer for the BBC. And um, I really, I don't know much about his history because I didn't have time to look up trivia before the episode. I, I did <laughs> a lot of Wikipediaing of yeah, Quatermass, but yeah. not of Nigel. Yeah. I know a bit about him. Please oh. take it. Tell us about him, Mr. Harrigan. Uh, well, I don't know a lot about his uh, personal history, but uh, his professional one was he started as a uh, writer at the BBC, and he had been doing, I think, mostly literary adaptations before that point. I think he had done some Dickens. Uh, don't ask me what. I don't remember. Uh, his first big hit was The Quatermass Experiment, mm-hmm. and he followed it up with a couple of other things, notably the adaptation of Orwell's 1984 yeah. with Peter Cushing in the lead role. Yeah. Mm. Donald Pleasance is in there as well. Um, <laughs> which that, is great. That's in my way. happy space. That It's <laughs> it's so good. And I have a copy of it if you want to watch it. I'd, I'd like yes. to borrow it. I'd like yeah. to borrow it. When are, when are you, when are the three of us going to get together and just like watch movies for 24 hours? Uh, 
sometime before Convergence, because I have an Orwell panel that I'm doing that I need to watch this 1984 <laughs> for. Jesus, yes! Yes! So, oh, yes! Oh, that makes me so anybody happy. Anybody wants to be on that panel, I, we're looking I got physically excited by that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so Nigel Neal rating 1984 makes me happy. So, but then he, yes. uh, sometime after, I want to say, Quatermass 2, he became successful enough to branch out on his own. And so he was just a, a working writer for a long time, and he sold scripts back to the BBC, uh, Quatermass in the Pit. Mm-hmm. Uh, then later things like Year of the Sex Olympics and the Stone Tape and became fairly well known enough that uh, John Carpenter, who's a fan of his, mm-hmm. and think? who wrote the screenplay for the movie Prince of Darkness under the pseudonym Martin Quatermass, yes. <laughs> uh, hired Neil to write the first draft, I want to say, of Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Yes. And I don't, I have no idea how that turned out, but he didn't turn in the final script. And I think they were kind of irritated at one another. And I think toward the end of his life, Neil became increasingly difficult to work with mm-hmm. and increasingly cranky. Like right from the beginning, he was very vocal about not liking the actor Brian Donlevy who plays Quatermass yeah. in the Hammer films, the first two Hammer films. Well, I agree with him on that, yeah, but we'll get to And that I later. don't, and we'll have a fist fight about yeah, it later. Yeah, okay. but, um, but by the time you get to the Quatermass conclusion, you can see, I think, a lot of Nigel Neal himself right at the surface of the script. A lot mm-hmm. of his cranky old mannishness is right there. Oh, God. Yeah. A, the Quatermass, a.k.a. Quatermass conclusion is like, oh, man, you are cranky old bastard, aren't you? It's so dark. But oh, we'll get to that. And yeah. Well, one of the things that stood out to me as I was doing a little bit of background research is that his... The catalyst for the Quatermass experiment was that sci-fi was the territory of youth programming. And particularly American and youth programming. So his goal when he wrote the Quatermass experiment was to come up with a sci-fi story that would be adult in tone and in scope. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that it would engage adults and would get them interested. And it was a huge success. Mm-hmm. That it it was like printing money for them, and mm-hmm. they were like, "All we need to do is just keep making more Quater Mass, and we're gonna have people are keep watching. It'll be great." And it's interesting because now we accept that sci-fi, comic books, all these things that were classically children children oriented children's literature, and now of course, well, of course, adults would love that. Why wouldn't you want? superheroes and spaceships and Mm -hmm. star wars and star trek and sci-fi of course that anybody would love that but this was groundbreaking yeah Mm -hmm. it it was entirely new and and there's a quality about nigel neal's work that i absolutely love and it's that the characters in pretty much all of his works are very collaborative Mm -hmm. like quatermass is not like a standalone hero figure he is constantly surrounded by people who are as smart as he is. And, and, they, he, and he turns to them all the time yeah. like, mm-hmm. well, okay, could you do this for me? And they're always like, doctor, you know, professor, I just found out this thing. Huh, that's mm-hmm. interesting. What and, do you think it means? Oh, yeah. And I think it's very telling. And, you know, I'll, lead, I'll use this to lead into the first Quatermass experiment on BBC that, okay, the first episode of the Quatermass experiment opens with... Um, this this team in a mission control room trying to lead a rocket back to safety uh, from outer space. And 
there are three people in the control room and one of them's a woman and she is there doing calculations alongside the guys in 1952. Yes. And she is his first assistant. Yeah. She is the one who is doing the math. And they very quickly establish that she's been in that role for a very long time, Mm -hmm. that she's married to one of the astronauts. And he even says, when you got involved with him, I should not have let you stay on my team because Mm -hmm. it was a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't do without you. Right. You are far too valuable to me to let you go. Right. Brilliant. Yeah. She's what in the period they used to call a computer yeah, because yeah. the people who computed tended to be women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and um, going back to the stone tape, which I'll keep referencing. Mm-hmm. Um, you see that in the stone tape too. The stone tape, uh, dear listeners, was done in 1970ish, and um, the lead character is a woman who is like this high test computer programmer. In those days, um, women were often um very strong in computer programming and mathematics because that was kind of the boring work so you know the the, you didn't have to be smart to do it yeah you just had to follow the rules yeah and so um the these there were a lot of air quotes there listeners yeah these these women were fantastic uh uh you know human calculators or programmers because that was considered a, a secretary's job Back in those days, which is kind of sad. Right? But isn't it funny how we shift our ideas yeah. of sexist roles to suit our needs at the time? Yeah, and then when they're... Oh, wait. Computer programming is now super important? Well, that must be something only a man can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's it's interesting because, you know, uh, Neil was writing these female characters, and you see it over and over and over in his works. I mean, even though there might be a token female in his script... Um, she's always working right alongside the guys. And she's smart. She is not just a secretary. Right. She, ha- she is doing things that are important to the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I I'd, really loved that. I'd give Neil maybe a passing grade on the women characters. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't say he's great on it. You watch him back to back all in a row. You're like, yeah, they, they tend okay. to be kind of I give well, him a higher peripheral grade to the because plot. at the time he made these, yeah. that is yeah. amazing. Because I watch movies in this time period and it's just so depressing. Yeah. Well, a good example here, I think, about Judith Caroon, uh, mm-hmm. the character uh, who is his assistant in Quatermass One, is her characterization in the miniseries and the Hammer film. Yes. Now, we don't know exactly how the character was portrayed in the miniseries because we're missing the final four episodes so we only have what the script says but from what we can see from the first couple of of episodes it's as you described you know she seems like a fairly competent character maybe kind of stereotypically weak in a 50s way but still a professional and she's there yeah um from what i understand about how things develop in the story later her husband, the astronaut who has come back and mm-hmm. has some health problems, to put it mildly, <laughs> spoilers, is kidnapped by Soviet agents mm-hmm. out of the hospital. And that's what lets him loose on London and precipitates the rest of the plot. Yeah. This is a much less sexist version of what happens in the Hammer Films oh. adaptation, where Judith herself who has broken with Quatermass over the treatment of her husband, spirits him out of the hospital herself and then gets freaked out over his alien transformations and essentially yeah. has a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Also, um, Judith in the Hammer remake is um, just a wife. 
Ah. Like, she's totally removed from her professional... Barf. Yeah. Um, Listeners, to give you some background, because it was referred to, but... So, the original BBC series, The Quatermass Experiment, Mm -hmm. only two episodes remain out of six. Yeah. You can watch them on YouTube, and they are quite interesting. I love them, actually. I'm really sad the rest doesn't And it's sort of fascinating, because you can also tell that this was when TV was broadcast live. Oh, yeah. And so, there are little things that happen, you're like, oh... That was something that just happened in the moment because they were doing this live and they didn't get a redo. And so it's really interesting, but we know what the script was, so we know what the eventual story was and also because of the Hammer remake. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to clarify that. Also, if you have not watched any of these, go watch some and then come listen because... You kind of don't want this spoiled because it's so much fun. It really is. The and, simplest way to do it, if you have a Region 2 DVD player, mm-hmm. is buy the Quatermass collection for like 20 bucks or mm-hmm. whatever. It's got the existing episodes of the first miniseries and both of the other two miniseries. It's very affordable. Yeah. And it has this amazingly informative like 50-page booklet in it that mm-hmm. tells you every single thing you could possibly want to know about the production. Squid wine. Squid wine's to blame. Squid wine. Oh, it's good. I like it. I am drinking way too much of it. This is this is going down real easy. <clears throat> too easy, some would say. So, la, yeah. so, la, so it's both it's I parching my mouth and making my my salivary glands like overactivate. Mm. Yeah. My okay. husband came back from space. <laughs> my husband came back from space with two of his colleagues. In his brain. <laughs> okay, so let let's go back to Equator Mass Experiment. Got a hand. I haven't seen the movie yet, so it has okay. just been referenced in yeah. the Wikipedia. Article. Okay, so, like so everything, all everything is so good. I'm yeah, sorry, go on. Oh yeah, it's yeah. true. Well, it's such great sci-fi. It's classic sci-fi. There are aliens, and they're invading the Earth, and we're fighting them. And there's no B plot. Uh uh-uh. uh it's just all about the aliens and figuring out what they want and making sure they don't get it. And it's great. It's smart, professional people doing smart, professional things mm-hmm. against enormously overwhelming odds. And when Nigel Neal is writing the story, the plot is resolved through thinking mm-hmm. and cleverness, mm-hmm. which is where the early Hammer films, I think, go kind of wrong. So let's go into Quatermass Experiment, the Hammer film. Let's yes. talk about it. Yes. Let's, let's talk hash about out our differences. So, let's so, talk about it. Yeah. So, so the BBC series starred Reginald Tate, mm-hmm. at the, the first BBC min, miniseries, the Quatermass Experiment. Professor Bernard Quatermass. Quatermass was, and he decided on the name Quatermass because he found it in a phone book, and it reminded him of the Isle of Man where names began with a Q. Nice. These are random facts that I picked up. <laughs> so Reginald Tate played Quatermass in the BBC show. I quite liked him. I, I, lo- I really like Reginald Tate. I, I think he's one of my favorite Quatermasses. He's both, um, he's very intellectual and academic and a little bit fussy, but with a warm core of morality. But he, he also has that air of leadership, which I think yeah. is really crucial to the character. Now... Quatermass Experiment, the Hammer remake of the same plot, has Brian Dunleavy in the role, who kind of plays him like a Chicago cop. I know, right? 
I will say Brian Donlevy, fine actor. What I else do, has he done? I, I, the God. Great McGinty. The Great McGinty. Preston which Sturgis. Is, which is fantastic. He is terrific. Yeah. He's also, yeah. He also plays the same character in The Miracle of, at uh, Morgan's Creek. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Brian Dunlevy, Dunlevy great character great character actor, not great as Quatermass. I, I do well, not feel that he... Professor. Yeah. Professor, not bruiser. Yeah, mm. and 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 there there are things I also don't like about the Hammer film in that um, the Hammer film takes Neil's script and and diverges from it. You know, first of all with the female character, but also um, it resolves rather than talking to the monster and appealing to the humanity left in the monster to resolve the plot. The the movie says, "Let's blow the shit out of it." Oh. It so it, be, it becomes very American in that sense, and and very antithetical to what Nigel Neal was originally going for, which which was brains will save the day. Yeah, so, true science fiction. The yeah. idea of let's focus on the science mm-hmm. to lead us forward and resolve our crises. Yeah. And Nigel Neal hated Dunleavy in the role. Yeah, he really. Did. I haven't even seen it, but I was reading about it, and he's just like, what? the actual hell who's this guy so, that that said there are some very effective sequences in the movie like there's a a point where the monster man goes rampaging through a zoo and it's a very effective creepy atmospheric scene mm-hmm. there are there are points in that movie where it's very well directed and it's just as a whole it's like oh i i know what this was supposed to be and this is not what it's supposed to be. But apparently Pat disagrees on the issue yes. of Brian Dunleavy. I'm going to try to rehabilitate uh, Brian here. A oh, little bit. You, <laughs> please you, do. Please you're do. in good company. Nigel Neal hated Brian Donlevy too. Uh, mm-hmm. To me, that strikes a little bit of British chauvinism. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, do you at, think? At this time, it was standard practice for companies like Hammer to cast an American in the lead role so that they yeah. could get international distribution. So that, that was nothing uncommon. Uh, but Neal thought that... Brian Donlevy was a kind of a thuggish um, yeah. Chicago gangster type character yeah. or whatever. And those are the roles that he had sort of been uh, known to play. But to me, when you put the other Quatermass actors out of your mind, I think Donlevy acts pretty well on his own as a driven, brusque, obsessed not very likable character who mm. is still somehow has to be the hero here. And he's going to he's gonna just kind of barrel through like a tank and he's going <laughs> to ride roughshod over everybody's feelings and he's going to accomplish whatever he's going to do. And there's a bit too much, I think, of the standard mad scientist character mm-hmm. there too. Um, and that, even more than the, than the chauvinism, uh, is... I, I think Neil's fundamental objection to him because mm-hmm. Quatermass was supposed to be his ideal version of a scientist. He was supposed to be working for the benefit of humanity and the script of the Hammer film uh, instead sort of gives the impression that Don Levy's character is working for his, o- his own aggrandizement. Mm-hmm. But when you watch the, the two Hammer films in succession, I think you see a certain amount more depth to Brian Don Levy. Balances that off a bit more mm-hmm. in Quatermass Two, and so by the end of it, I, I was quite charmed by him. I would have, <laughs> I would have loved to have seen him uh, have done Quatermass in the Pit too, except that that would have robbed us of Andrew Keir's very oh, good yeah. performance. Andrew Keir's so good, yeah. but anyway, I, I quite liked okay. Andrew Keir. He's really good. So I will say for Quatermass Experiment, the film version, um, uh, there is a wonderfully dark ending to that because it's basically fuck you, we're going to do this again because science. Yeah. Fuck off. 
<laughs> I mean, that is essentially the end. So they repeat. They're going <laughs> to repeat the experiment yeah. because fuck you. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is a wonderfully dark ending. It's it, it's well, the, and it's but it's actually weirdly true to science. Of well, that's what happened one time. If we can't reproduce it, mm-hmm. then it is not actually science. <laughs> yeah, we need to repeat the experiment to get more data. That is very <laughs> true is really to true. science. And what are we going to do? Hide our heads in the sand and wait for the no, aliens we, nope. to come to us? We got to keep trying mm-hmm. and see what happens. Nope. Nope. I'm down with that. No, that's good. And that's the aliens good. did come to them and, next time. And I, I, now I, I that was, we know what might happen, we'll prepare better. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I do kind of love that ending. <laughs> I, that was an unexpected thing to me. It was like, oh, mm-hmm. all right. I, I kind of enjoy that on a really a BT level. dubs, dudes. You might come back and turn into a plant. <laughs> a succulent it's okay plant, plant-ish um yeah. i don't know that we've told our listeners what? that's the plot yes is there are three there are the okay. experiment is a rocket is being sent up for the first time into outer space note that this is 1952 yeah this is pre-sputnik this mm-hmm. is this is very much pre pre anything so it's gonna go up in an arc and come back down out into true outer space and come back down. It's going to be very exciting, except that it disappears from their ability to track it for 52 hours. And it goes like one and a half times farther than the moon. Mm -hmm. Right. So they, cause they do the math on that. It's like been way out there, something weird. And they, even in the second episode are like, yeah, we found the fault. It was like this weird little electrical switch that sent it up, carooming off into nowheresville. Okay. Leaving aside that from our modern perspective, we're like, how did they survive? They can't have been planning for them to have been gone for 52 hours with enough food and water and air. <laughs> well, you know, they went all Donner Party on each other, really. Okay. But anyway, so then they appear back on the scope and uh-huh. they, they crash land in the middle of uh, Wimbledon. Yeah. Well, in yeah, it, it, dif- blah, blah, blah. it, it, it differs. It's in the middle of London in the yeah. in, in the, the middle of London. Yeah. yeah. Um, Wait, and you know, by the way, this is this, yeah. this is a couple years post the German Blitz. Yeah. Which is so people are like, oh my yeah. god, it's yeah. It's, there's a bit of comedy like, oh, it's that again. Yeah. It's gonna explode. It's a bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are supposed to be three astronauts, but only one is inside, and the other two, their suit is there. But where are they? And that's pretty much the last you see of the original two episodes. But if you read, you know, you can read the synopsis or you can watch the Hammer film. What has happened, and you do find this out in the second episode, Mm -hmm. is the consciousness of the other two has been absorbed by the one remaining astronaut. Because he didn't speak German, but now he speaks German and one of the astronauts was German and what the hell? (laughs) So he's absorbed their consciousness because they ran into an alien an alien and now he's turning into a plant and if he spores it's gonna take over the whole earth and destroy humanity so we have to stop him Mm -hmm. and the way the original bbc ended was the quatermass appeals to him reaches him and all three of the astronauts their consciousness still within the walking cactus and (laughs) 
<laughs> don't let this happen. You're still human in there somewhere. And so they managed to overtake the alien and stop the sporing from happening. And of course, apparently in the Hammer film, they just blow it up. They electrocute it. Yep. Okay. Although that is the ending that they use in the 2005 remake, the Jason yeah. Fleming. Yeah. So, so there is a third well, second remake of... A third a telling of the story, third, a second mm -hmm. remake. Yes, third telling of the story that happened in 2005, done on the BBC live broadcast, mm -hmm. which is fascinating. Uh, hour and a half Too long. It didn't work better. But, yeah. yeah. yeah it was well, a I love live television. I love when they oh, yeah. experiment with that. That's really fascinating. I, I think it was fun. It didn't quite come together in yeah. the end, but it's... It was a really fun thing to do, and it's an hour and a half adaptation of the the original script, and it's actually really pretty close to what Neil's script really yeah. was aiming to do. And it it has Jason Fleming as uh, Quatermass, you know, he's okay. Um, and the Doctor is played by David Tennant, who learned he was going to play Doctor Who while yeah. filming this. And he's thing. quite good, and he's mm -hmm. he's really good. And um, I. I like the I like the script. Yeah, the woman who plays Judith is yeah. uh, Indira Vara or Vandra. Uh, though she was in Torchwood yeah. and oh, Rome, yeah, yeah, yeah. and she's Luther's wife, Idris Elba's wife. Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I knew I recognized her from somewhere. I just watched it. Indira Vara. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jason Fleming. To give you some context, he was he was. He did have a part in Black Mirror, the BBC series. Um, He's he, also in uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. And Snatch, and The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Mm -hmm. He is the father of Benjamin Button, I think. Also, He's also in X-Men First Class yeah. as Azazel. Yes. Uh, right. Yes. But he'd be hard to recognize there because of all the makeup. Yeah. He's but, in a ton of things. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, when you he's see good. his face, you're going to go... That guy. Yeah, yeah, he's good. He's good. Uh, it's it's interesting having a younger Quatermass. Yeah. And, um, you know, for being live, you know, there there were some interesting things on in how they, they directed it. There were, there's um, some interesting use of confined space, you mm -hmm. know, working in their lab and, you know, some fine performances. It was, it was fun. I thought, yeah, it was yeah. an interesting thing to have seen and I wouldn't want to watch it again, I think. Yeah. I think what killed it mostly was that it all had kind of the same bland tone to it because yeah. it was filmed in the same couple of studios at, I assume it was BBC, one of the BBC London studios. So now we're in a lab, now we're in... Uh, you know, the, the, hallway. Pre the, pre the hallway, the press conference. Now we're outside the building with some crane shots, and mm -hmm. it's supposed to be a completely different place. And so it it never gives you a real sense of we're opening up this story. What they right. were trying to do was model that um, that live broadcast yeah. uh, stuff from the fifties, which oddly was more successful in giving you more a sense of place. Yeah, and and it's a bit short sighted too because the the second and third Quatermass serials. Uh, part of them were broadcast live, yeah. but um, more and more they had pre-filmed sequences. Right. So right at the top of Quatermass 2, you've got stuff out in the field, and then it'll cut to the studio where actors are performing live, and even more so in Quatermass mm. in the Pit. So Quatermass 2. So they were going to have Reginald Tate come back as Quatermass, yeah, but, but he, he died. Yeah, he just keeled over. He just dropped dead. Yeah. So they got John Robinson in at the last minute. Yeah. Like a tauntaun. <laughs> yes, and uh, yeah, 
John Robinson, you know what? I kind of like his Quatermass. I like him. He is my least favorite Quatermass, but that doesn't mean that I don't like him. Right. I guess. He, you know what? I like a quali- the quality about him that he's got He's got the leadership qualities mm-hmm. of Quatermass. He kind of stumbles over the scientist part of Quatermass a little bit, but not too bad. But um, at one point in that in Quatermass 2, he masquerades as a soldier mm-hmm. on this this compound and it's like, yeah, I could buy you as a soldier. So it's like a scientist who could also do the soldier thing. I'm I'm game. I'm good with that. Yeah, I'm that's cool. That. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. Hey guys, Quatermass in the Pit gets all the love. And yeah. I, I won't deny that, that it's probably the best. But Quatermass 2 kicks ass. It fucking does. Great. Okay, tell me about Oh my God. Wait, okay, okay. Right, what so happened? What is the plot? No, take it. off? Take it. Take it. So meteorites are falling and they're being picked up. Some of them are found by the local soldiery. Yeah. And uh, one of the soldiers is actually engaged to Quatermass's daughter. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he's like, Bernard, take a look at this. Now, Quatermass himself is um, distracted because his rocket that was supposed to uh, go to the moon and start a moon colony blew up because of a fault in the engine. So there there was a nuclear explosion in Australia. Mm-hmm. So this is just going to be the end of his career. Did people so, die? People died. Uh, it's unclear whether he was directly responsible for that because mm-hmm. he, he didn't necessarily engineer the engine himself, but he's ultimately responsible yeah, for it. Yeah. So uh, so he looks into the uh, uh, the meteorite. It de- he determines that there's a ton of them falling in this particular area uh, in the British countryside where there is there's this huge compound there full of things that look like his projected moon colony and big the, pressure domes and they and, and he learns like an entire like a village has been bulldozed to make room for this colony and it, i mean there's some serious secret colony government. of what it, well yeah. that's where the that's where the science comes in that's right that's the mystery. like well if we were to live on the moon we would have pressure domes like that to keep our atmosphere in what could live on earth that would need those pressure domes, and so they um, they eventually determine that these uh, that these meteorites that fall they release an ammoniac gas with something in it that crawls into your brain mm-hmm. and takes over, and it's part of an alien gestalt organism. So all of you are just like ants that are, mm-hmm. sure. you know, yeah. Yeah, following its instructions. A communal brain. And the people in Whitehall are corrupted and the local constabulary mm-hmm. are are corrupted. And there's so a whole it's, So it's sort of, of soldiers. like Invasion of the Body it's Snatchers. It's very like, much yeah. like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, or the, wait, what's the... The puppet masters. Puppet masters. Puppet masters that, thank you. Yeah, there's a lot of that sort of thing going on at the time because uh, the 1950s were big about... Soviet brainwashing and things like that. And this oh, was yeah. right after the invasion of Hungary, the Soviet invasion of Hungary. So there's a lot of that um, that sort of political paranoia mm-hmm. going on. Oh, and he learns, out, uh, learns about a lot of this from a local tramp who is played by Wilfred Bramble, who plays Paul's grandfather in A Hard Day's Night. In A Hard Day's Night, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, literally, Wilfred Bramble just pops out of a hole in the ground and gives information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who's the old man? I don't know. He's Paul's. He's very clean. <laughs> is he? He wasn't clean in this. No. <laughs> he wasn't very clean. The other great uh, moment for me was uh, at one point, Quatermass gets a journalist in to try to report on, on this. And it's Roger Delgado, the guy who plays the original master 
from yes. Doctor Who. Yes. Oh. Well before Doctor Who, he's great. He's like, he's ooh, really he's good. like especially hot. He's very, mm. he's young and sexy. He's really hot. I'm, it's like, mm, oh, he's but, he's tasty. Oh, he's the master. Oh, he's tasty. The thing about this, though, <laughs> Even is, more tasty. Mm-hmm. It's super fucking scary. Yeah. It's really tense. I'm watching it, and, you know, it's 2000, what, 15, I think. Yes. Right? Thank yeah. you. <laughs> This was made <laughs> this was 60 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. I think. 1955. Is it 2015? I don't know anymore. 60 years old. I've seen movies like this, or TV like this in my entire life. And this is just really scary. You know, like, what the fuck is happening next? Yeah. Oh, my God. There's more meteorites and all this. And I won't even give away the ending. If yeah. you haven't seen it, although, you should totally watch Although it. I will say the, 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 the sixth episode is like, oh. They drop it for the, quit, for the Hammer film. Mm-hmm. Too, they they decide not to okay, go there. Okay, so yeah. sh- which one should yeah. I watch first, the Hammer film or the BBC miniseries? The miniseries, definitely the miniseries. Yeah. Okay. they're both good actually. Yeah, they're both very good. It's just that the BBC series runs out of steam at the end. Like mm-hmm. the the sixth episode is like, uh, okay, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I am it's playing, like, it's like I am representing you, listeners, asking the questions you want. It it asked. is mm-hmm. it is stellar. For five episodes. And then the yeah. six is like, eh. It's like a lot of Doctor Who um, yeah. for me. And you want to point now, out, like, episode five is about as good as this stuff gets. Oh, I, I agree. Episode five is oh, fantastic. Yeah. It, and um, this is the the series I was watching on a treadmill uh, <laughs> while I was doing Die Laughing this this uh, this weekend. Um, I was watching this and going, yeah, this is this is where British sci-fi comes from. This is Doctor Who. This is the origin of Doctor Who right fucking here um, because I've seen Spearhead from Space mm-hmm. and, you know, this is Spearhead from Space. Yeah. <laughs> this came up on... Uh... The other podcast that I do, Get Off My World, a Doctor Who podcast. Listeners can go to getoffmyworldpodcast.com and download episodes right now. It, but it, 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 dear, dear listeners, it's really great. You want to listen it's to It's delightful. It. It's got Kelvin, yes, who has been a regular on our podcast, and also Josh, and Josh Joshua. Grimshaw. We mm-hmm. haven't had Joshua, but he's so mm-hmm. busy, and mm-hmm. he's got kids, so, you know, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And I think he must be a better parent than me, because somehow I find time. <laughs> I yes. mentioned Quatermass. Quatermass comes up every so often, uh, but what I kind of like about Doctor Who is... It's restraint in stealing from Quatermass <laughs> because the Quatermass serials uh, ended in the late 1950s and Doctor Who started, of course, in 1963, but really didn't start to steal from Quatermass until John Pertwee started. And that's yeah. 1970. Those first Pertwee seasons, Spearhead from Space is essentially Quatermass 2. The Demons is essentially Quatermass in the Pit. And mm-hmm. there's lots of other stuff around there, too. Ambassadors of Death takes a lot from the original Quatermass experiment. But, you know, the production teams kind of held off for a long time. And then once the, doc- the doctor got trapped on Earth, then the model for him became Professor Quatermass, and then the story started trending in that direction. Yes. So the the one Quatermass thing I didn't get a chance to watch prior to this episode was Quatermass 2, the Hammer film. Okay. So can you speak to the yeah. adaptation? Well, you probably won't like it because it's got Brian Donlevy, of course. Yeah, fuck that guy. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I like people with opinions. I do. I do. Okay, fuck that guy when he's playing Quatermass. Any other time, he's fine. Yeah, right? he's like that guy. 
uh, I think it's a pretty good adaptation. One of the problems with the Hammer films is that they're squishing a three-hour story mm. into an 80 yeah. or 90-minute film. Um, this does a pretty good job of that. Among other things, it, it drops the romance subplot, so there's not a daughter of Quatermass around. Um, okay. To do a lot of the secondary Watson-like work, they bring in Inspector Lomax from the first movie again. And so that works pretty well to maintain some continuity. Okay, that's good. Um, They skip, essentially, episode six. Okay. They don't do anything related to the the asteroid. And um, they spend a lot more time showing off their location work at the factory. It's mm-hmm. a good choice. It's a good location. Yeah. It looks uh, um, very interesting, and they spend a lot of time doing it. And that also means that they can spend a lot of time, we haven't talked about this yet, focusing on the industrial action and the Irish workers yes. who are working at the plant. Because here's the thing. Even if you're a bunch of, of slimy aliens, you still need local labor to build your ship. <laughs> and so you got your shanty towns or whatever with your, um, in this case, Irish workers, which would have been at the time or whatever. And they, yeah. they're not infected. They just, they go there and they build the plant. They just need a job. Mm-hmm. But then eventually things get out of hand. Mm-hmm. And then there's a mob of Irishmen coming and taking over the plant like an industrial action would have happened at the time. Mm-hmm. And there's a great scene in the TV Quatermass in the Pit where the the aliens are broadcasting over the loudspeakers and trying to pretend that everything is okay. Like, oh, it's just going to be a normal work day or whatever. Even though there are men with guns in the control room. And so they start broadcasting just like smooth jazz. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. This is to calm down the workers. It's great. They spent a lot of time on that in the movie, too. They they really, this speaks well to um, Nigel Neal's writing, too, because mm-hmm. that little detail is something that not many people would have put in there. Yeah. But it's um, hilarious. It's very on. funny. Smooth jazz is kind of always funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so yeah. no, it's it's well worth watching. Oh, uh, Michael Ripper is in it. Michael Ripper oh, really? is in every Hammer movie to, uh, for the most part. And he's also <laughs> yeah. in the TV Quatermass in the Pit. He usually yeah. plays barmen, as he does in the Hammer Quatermass 2, or sergeants, as he does in the TV uh, Quatermass in the Pit. What is it about British people? They, they're always good as sergeants. So since we're pretty much done with Quatermass 2, I feel like we need to take quick tangents into X the Unknown. X the Unknown! X the Unknown! X the Unknown! So, dear listeners, X the Unknown is the kind of unauthorized Quatermass. Hey, we want to make a Quatermass film. No, I won't let you. Fine, we'll make a Quatermass film. We just won't call it a Quatermass film. It's basically Quatermass meets the blob. Predates the blob. It by does. Two years. It does predate really? the blob. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's it's a mud monster that rises from the earth. It's, it eats radioactivity. Yeah. Yeah. It's well. That's kind of helpful. Yeah. Unless you're in its way. Mm-hmm. Well, I yeah. just feel like maybe we could come to an accommodation. And then it gets bigger. I just feel like maybe we could come to an accommodation. Oh, beware of the blob. It lurks. It jerks. It glides and slides across the floor and to the door. And- <laughs> What? Yes, but. <laughs> of course you know that. Of course.
course you know that. It's Burt Bacharach. It's amazing. <laughs> Burt Bacharach is fucking tuneful. And, but not part of X the Unknown. So X the Unknown, we have Dean Jagger as Dr. Adam Royston, who is a very thinly veiled equatormass. Yes, he's a radioactivity expert, not yeah. a rocket scientist, but that's just for purposes of this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Normally, I'm a rocket scientist, but I'm moonlighting as a radioactivity expert. <laughs> The local cop, not the local cop, but the cop that gets sent in, is Leo McKern, one of my favorite actors. You know, Leo so McKern, he's Rumpel yeah. of the Bailey. Yeah. yeah, and he was in The Prisoner. Oh, yeah, he was one <laughs> yes. of the best number twos. Yes. Wait, he was in what? Help. Wasn't he in Lady Yes, he was. He was, he was he the was. crazy monk. Yeah, also he in was. The Omen. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got he's got crazy kind of all over him. Mm-hmm. Love the hell out of Liam McCartan. Grew oh, yeah. up watching so him fun. on Rumpel and on The Prisoner, and he's in this. And his relationship with Doctor Royston is a lot of fun. It's one mm-hmm. of those typically Quatermassian or Howard Hoxian relationship of professionals, where okay, mm-hmm. we understand each other, even if nobody else does. We're gonna we're gonna trust one another, and we're gonna get shit done. Mm-hmm. It also has Michael Ripper. Yes. As a sergeant? Of course. Uh, of course. <laughs> of course. Uh-huh. It's, it, it's like you can play hammer bingo with this. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed X the Unknown. We, uh, we should say something that this is what changed Hammer Films into what it is. We didn't talk yeah. about this on our last yeah, yeah, Hammer yeah. episode, mm-hmm. but before this point, they'd been kind of doing a lot of film noir. They've been doing some um, science fiction stuff like Four-Sided Triangle, but this enormous hit with Quatermass Experiment, which they then followed up with Quatermass 2 and X the Unknown, shifted them into horror-based science fiction and then mm-hmm. into horror. So yeah. they did Curse of Frankenstein and Horror of Dracula, and it really put them on this path. And that's it, it was Quatermass Experiment that Decided hammer on that. So Quatermass was influential in many a way. Many yeah. a way. Many, many mm, a way. Yeah. Are we pretty much done with uh, Quatermass 2? Yeah, let's just go into Quatermass in the Pit. Because really, that's what people care about is Quatermass <gasps> this, in the Pit. Who plays the oh. woman? Who plays the woman? What's her name? Well, it's her, Barbara, Barbara Shelley. Barbara Shelley. Her so fucking yeah. good. voice yeah. is... What I mo- I'm serious. As I watched it, it's on YouTube. You can watch it for free, listeners. Seriously, just mm-hmm. punch it up. Her voice is so fucking sexy. Every time yeah. she talks, I'm like, Hi. she's a regular. Yeah, she's um, got one of those voices that's way down here, and it's so cultured. Oh, Professor Quatermass, and you're like, I want to learn how to talk like that. I feel like people would take me seriously as a woman if I talked like that. Oh, you guys, it's so true. I mean, say what you want. <laughs> Oh, what are what are your tastes? No, I mean, Pat? say what you want about the the women who play in the other Quatermass stuff, and they yeah. tend to be good uh, or yeah. whatever. But she's just a league apart. Yeah, it, she, and, and Barbara we, Shelley we, has so much character. Dear, well, and they dear keep listeners, doing, dear listeners, we're talking about the movie at the moment. So yeah, yeah they so keep doing we have like, left ahead reaction shots of her that you can tell even watching. You're like, clearly the director just thought she's gorgeous and amazing. I just want to show what mm-hmm. she's doing right now, and you don't 
care. It's not even yeah. physical beauty. It's just her presence. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. I yeah. mean, she's she's pretty enough. It's but I mean, it's not like you're like, holy shit, who's that woman? But you just love watching her. And then when she talks and she's got that voice and and then she's so competent. She's one of the most fascinating characters in the piece. Oh yeah. Well, well, uh, let's back up a bit. Quatermass yeah. in the Pit it really brings out the fact that Quatermass as a series plays at the intersection of science fiction and horror. Mm-hmm. And yes, and Quatermass in the Pit is where John Carpenter came from, and and it's it it's so exciting. It it also brings out the fact that um, it's really engaging to watch smart characters doing smart things. There's so much of horror that relies upon people doing stupid shit. Don't go in there. Don't go. Oh, in you there. went in there to to move the plot forward, and that does not happen. Yeah. With Quatermass. It's smart people doing smart things and yet still being confounded by the scope of the shit that is happening around them. And what I also love, we brought it up earlier, is Quatermass in the Pit is that sweet spot that I love where paranormal meets science. Yeah. Where something that looks paranormal from the outside, oh, for centuries shit has gone down on this location. Yeah. People have felt possessed. They've seen ghosts. Mm -hmm. They've seen demons. What the actual fuck? And science comes in and goes, actually, it's a Martian spacecraft that's been buried here, transmitting subconscious messages to your Jungian overbrain. Okay, so let's backpedal a little bit. Because it's even worse than that. It is. But I love that shit. I love it when something that's so supernatural becomes science. The the reason that Quatermass in the Pit as a plot, you know, uh, is, is so beloved is that it plays at the intersection of so many things. And and Nigel Neal's proclivities of how to write characters and relationships and science fiction plots and find really interesting angles at which to write science fiction, it all just really gels at the sweet spot. Yeah, it's really it's really satisfying. So let's go to first the BBC series. Okay. This time we have Andre Morel as Quatermass. I really like Andre. He's a he's a Hammer regular, although, of course, this is not yeah. a Hammer film, but he, he shows up in a lot of Hammer he, stuff. He's also in Bridge on the River Kwai. Oh, yeah. Yes, oh, he yes, might yes. be my favorite Quatermass. Uh, yeah, he's... I really it's, like him. It's hard to tell. It's hard for me to decide. I, 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 I so love much. it. So why so would you many pick Quatermass. Why would you pick? Why would you even pick? I love you it's all. It's true. Oh, it's such a bouquet of Quatermasses. I love you all. <laughs> it's, come on. It's like Garden a half a bit. It's half a dozen. Why would you pick? Just eat yeah. them all. Like Except donuts. for Brian Dunleavy. Fuck you, Brian Dunleavy. No, no, no. no. He's the raisin bagel in the bunch. That's what that is. Because <laughs> no. nobody wants raisins in anything. No, Andre Morel is actually a really great Quatermass. He, he's got kind of that gentleman in the British club sort of vibe. You know, mm-hmm. that, that I will have a sandwich with my scotch and... And uh, also, I'm brilliant, <laughs> but but you know he'll he'll also get down in the dirt with his paleontologist friend and help yeah. solve this mystery. Now, in the BBC series, is he friends with the paleontologist yes. before this goes down? Do- yes, Doctor Roney registers much more in the TV series than he does in the movie. Okay, there's, I like I like there's Roney a, lot more a lot. Time spent with Doctor Roney. 
Because I really like the character of Dr. Ways, Roni a lot. he's the main character yeah. in Quatermass. Well, yeah. actually, what's yeah. interesting is even not knowing that, watching the Hammer film, it becomes very clear that Dr. Roni is much more the agent mm-hmm. than Quatermass yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. It's and really interesting. One criticism of the movie is that that doesn't register as much. Mm-hmm. And also Quatermass seems too impotent in the movie too because they don't really have enough time for either of those characters Mm. as the plot is barreling forward uh but i mean these are quibbles the movie the movie is great and so is the miniseries yeah yeah that's a quibble you need to you need to i need to dial down that quibble seriously 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 quibble the 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 bbc series (laughs) is um oh wow it it's really great. It's really good. Oh, the interplay between Quatermass and Roni is really fantastic. Um, the, I, is the, Colonel Breen? <laughs> Colonel Breen's in it, and he is an asshole. He's really good. Though. Uh, yeah, he's he's a good at. Mm-hmm. He, he's a really excellent asshole. The the interplay between Quatermass and Breen is maybe even more interesting yes. in the TV series because they don't like each other. But they know that each one is a professional in their own field. Yeah. And so there's sort of overlapping kind of deferential things that they do. And that goes on it, for quite a long time until eventually Breen makes his power play and kind of shoves yeah. Quatermass. It does also, come through in the movie. Yeah. I will say that not having watched oh, yeah, the miniseries, yeah, yeah. that there is a sort of professional courtesy that plays out between the two of them that's yeah. actually really delightful because so often in modern movies, we we want everything to be so black and white that we don't allow the gray of reality that it's really enjoyable to watch the two of them like, I don't agree with you. I think you're wrong. I don't agree with you. I think you're wrong. Nonetheless, in this situation, both of us have valid viewpoints and mm-hmm. things that need to be done, so let us support each other. And yeah. it's really great. Mm-hmm. There, There's also an additional angle in the BBC series that, if I recall, is not played out in the movie, where at the very beginning it, it's established that um, before Quatermass gets involved with this uh, uh, paleontology dig, He's part of the rocketry program and like the board of the rocketry program wants to do this Star Wars type mm-hmm. missile defense. No, program. that is in the movie. Oh, it is. It is. Okay. It's been I didn't take it over that. by the military. Yeah. It's been and taken he's over. like you. And, yeah. and so he and Breen are immediately at cross purposes. Right. He's like, I don't like you. You're taking over my program. You're taking it in a direction that's militaristic and awful. And I hate you. Right. Let's go to dinner together. <laughs> right, right. At my Cause, club. Because we are right. British. Yeah. Well, seriously, that's what Breen does in the movie. He's like, true. you and I, I feel like we've gotten off to a rocky start. Mm-hmm. So let's go to dinner together at my club. Oh, wait, I've just gotten a phone call. I need to stop. Well, do you want to come with me? Because, of course, mm-hmm. in the movie, Quatermass and Rooney, Rooney, yeah. Rooney don't know each other. And he's like, oh, I've got a phone call. I need to stop at a thing. Well, why don't you come with me as it's on the way to the club? And that's how you get Quatermass to the dig yeah. in the yeah. movie. And, and slightly different in the BBC series. Like, yeah. he knows Roni. Roni uh, brings Quatermass in. And uh, Roni needs additional military influence yeah. to stave off the people who all further want to develop where he's digging. Yeah. So he brings in... Uh, Breen. Breen. Uh, yeah. Quatermass well, brings, brings in Breen sort of a, uh, out of peak. Yeah. Just like, oh, I'm going to involve you in this. Yeah. If, if I had to quibble, quibble, quibble. Uh, the movie actually does that a little bit better. Because I'll agree Bre- with Because Breen is brought in as an expert in unexploded bombs. Yeah. Yeah. He had been in that. In no, the, that's really well established in yeah, the movie. in the movie. Okay. okay, so dear listeners, if you've not seen Quatermass in the Pit, here here is the nutshell. Um, there is... 
an archaeological dig that is happening in a place that is being developed, you know, depending on the version. Well, it starts with they're expanding a London tube. Yeah. Line. Well, for for the movie, it is. It's in, slightly it's, different. It's, uh, they're doing. Uh, they're restoring uh, like council block flats or something. Yeah. In the, in... Yeah. And so there's in the, the process yeah. of it. Yeah. They come across skulls and skeletal remains, which are interesting. Which bring in the paleontologist, right. and then as they dig further, they find a metallic artifact. Yeah. And it is an unexploded bomb because why wouldn't you in yeah. 1950s London? Yeah. <laughs> So they, they they call in the military to deal with the unexploded bomb, and they go, "Oh, it's not metallic. That's weird." Because they they're keep... they're trying to put a magnet on yeah. it, so it keeps sliding off. They're like, like, "Oh, what?" And they keep digging further and further, and more and more does not add up. And it it turns out it's this buried artifact from a a Martian civilization that was doing, you know, genetic modifications on the human population and all sorts of crazy shit like that. And um, it's totally chariots of the gods yeah. that aliens came and, and engineered the human race chariots of the gods. Yes. and mm-hmm. engineered the human race and that uh, we were just apes and they came and they made us better. And mm-hmm. and so humanity owes its existence to aliens. But the twist is the twist. they didn't just make us better. They gave us a bigger brain and they gave us bigger capacity, but they also imbued us with their values, which is the wild hunt. The mm-hmm. race purge, the race hatred, the fundamental race hatred that the Martians had that yeah. would lead them to purge their hives of mutations has been translated into human terms. And this is what Nigel Neal says about what the impulse of the movie was, was race riots in London mm-hmm. at the time. So why do races just hate each other? Well, this is his science fictional explanation for that, because like Barbara Shelley says, we are the Martians. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what the real deep evil that he talks about is, is that we've inherited that thing from a race that isn't even ours mm-hmm. to hate one another. But, you know, as the the uh, plot goes on, there's this additional angle of, you know, we've we've seen ghosts in this area. We there is paranormal, quote, paranormal stuff going on in this area. And the, the reason is this science reason of this buried artifact underground that has been influencing people in the area for ages and ages they've been seeing hallucinations they have been seeing uh you know just well there's a great moment where relics um in the movie where the female character Mm -hmm. there it's hobbs lane station h-o-b-b-s yep and then you look up on a building because this is very true in london because london is so fucking old you can see hobbs lane h-o-b-b-s and underneath it is an older sign h-o-b-s mm-hmm. and she's like huh hob was a nickname for the devil yeah and you're like oh <gasps> Oh, and then and then as they start investigating, it's like okay, back in Victorian England. Okay, now back further, back in Elizabethan England. Okay, now even back further. And like as they're walking out the door, you can hear the historian like, "Wait, I just found something from Roman times." Yeah. And you're like, "Holy shit, this yeah. has been going on forever." Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, the, it, it's that deep history that London has. It's the race riots that were happening at the time. It, it's just the intersection of so many things that makes Quatermass in the Pit so engaging. 
And ultimately, it winds up where, you know, there's this giant apparition of the insect people from Mars over London. There are riots going on over London amongst the people who ha still have the Martian gene. And but some creepy, don't. Yeah, some, some don't. Some are Roni doesn't. Yeah, Roni doesn't have it. So there are people without that gene. There are people with that gene and they're at odds and mayhem happens. It's totally crazy, you guys. Yeah, there's destruction. Well, I mean, and as, yeah. okay, when they dig up the artifact, yeah. the, the ship, mm -hmm. they eventually get through to the chamber where there are basically preserved corpses of original Martians, but they look like insects. Mm -hmm. and, but as they're looking at them, like, D I feel like, look at how familiar they are. This is every gargoyle we've ever drawn, every demon mm -hmm. we as a race have ever drawn across so many cultures. And I love that shit. I love, yeah. it. I love it when you, on the head. I love it when yeah. you get into the Jungian shit. That that just makes me so happy. <laughs> and so they, they pull up these corpses and then they're starting to get memories as they're exploring the ship and they're, they're activating it. And then the ship activates and it sends out this signal and, ah, and people are going crazy and they just want to kill each other. But some are in immune and in the movie what's so great is that mm -hmm. roni becomes the force of human reason yeah because quatermass is totally lost to this rage it's true mm -hmm. it, it, and i mean roni it, finds him is yeah. like quatermass wake up whoa i'm right here pay attention and he's like what what oh my god oh weird that was so weird dude and he's like and he's and he looks at roni mm -hmm. didn't you feel it eh no and it's the same in the BBC series, you yeah. know, Quatermass is going, holding his head, is like, ah, and Roni is, you know, trying to pull him back. And pretty much the end of the BBC series is very, uh, you know, almost exactly like mm -hmm. the Hammer film. When I watched the Hammer film very specifically, that, you know, when I rewatched it a few nights ago, that was go where I went, yeah, this pretty much is John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. It's that, that intersection of mm -hmm. supernatural and science and the, the possessed woman is harbinger of doom and the hallucination Alice Cooper, and, and, and Alice Cooper yeah. shows up and no, it, it 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 really is. I mean, if you've seen Prince of Darkness, that is really a companion piece to to. I need Quater to rewatch. I need to rewatch Prince of Darkness. Yeah, Quatermass in the Pit is on YouTube. So, spoiler alert: stop right now, go watch it for oh, free, and it's not even that long. It's so good. It's like an hour and a half long, and and it, I want to tell you, I was watching it alone at like 10 p.m. And this 1967 sci-fi flick, I got scared in the middle. Yeah, like, super tense. And yeah. I like pulled up the the pillow in front of me and was like looking, peeking around the corner, like I'm watching this alone at night and I'm scared. It's it does have really tense moments. Well, it it never quite goes where you expect it to either. No, which, which is which is why it is so tense. I mean, even though this is a a uh, piece of fiction that is beloved by many filmmakers and has been borrowed from many, 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 many times. Watching the original is still got a great impact on mm -hmm. people. It, no, it's I still totally bought it. So often yeah. these films that were so influential when you go and watch them, you can see the influence, but because they've been ripped off so much, mm -hmm. they've lost their impact. 
Not the case. Well, there's... So if you haven't watched it, stop right now yeah, because there's... we're going to talk a little bit about what happens at the end. Yeah, if there's one thing that I hope the listeners take away from this is that all of these really maintain their impact yeah. even yeah. after this. Even yeah. kind of not very well regarded ones like the Hammer, Quatermass 2, or even minor things like X the Unknown. These really have a lot of punch to them. They mm-hmm. still hold up. They're still really effective. Yeah. Since, since we've kind of drifted into the movie, Andrew Keir, great Quatermass. I good. really liked him a lot. So good. He's he, a really great Quatermass. He's the dude who plays Quatermass in the Quatermass memoirs radio the, yeah. thing where they're interviewing him. Because he was one of the few Quatermasses who were still alive at uh, that time. That's true, yes. Yeah, because <laughs> it was like him and John Mills and that was it. Yes. Yeah. He's crotchety without ever crossing the line yeah. into being an asshole. Yeah. And he and he gets justifiably cranky yeah. at the military, especially yeah. how it plays out because, hey, look, the military are assholes at the end. Because Quatermass yeah. is like, don't do it. We don't know what it is. And they're like, what are you talking about? It's just a Soviet hoax. He's like, are you fucking kidding me? And here's the thing. Colonel Breen, who's his foil, Mm -hmm. is played by the same guy. Julian Glover. It's Julian Glover from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. (laughs) You know, the guy who seems like he's all British, but he turns out to be a Nazi spy. And then he's wearing a brown uniform all throughout Crater Mass in the Pit. I'm just like, you look like a Nazi. You look like a Nazi. Give me a moment to expand on Julian uh, Julian Glover, yeah. who is uh, a guy that I've loved for years. He's a big Doctor Who guy too, of course. He was <laughs> in, he was in um, William Hartnell's The Crusade. He plays Count Scarleone in the Tom Baker episode City of Death. Mm, yeah. He's of course the uh, James Bond bad guy in For Your Eyes Only, mm-hmm. and he plays Grand Meister Pycelle. He does, yes. Game of Thrones these days, and that's just a tiny fraction of the thing. But he's, he's but done. you best know him from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Let's be honest, <laughs> where he death. seems like. Where he seems like he's one of the good guys, but then he's not, and then he drinks from the wrong cup, and he like desiccates and puffs away before your eyes. And he toasts poorly, and he's Colonel Breen, which those of us who are but Nemathon attendees means every time they say his name, you giggle. Breen. Breen. And so he's so delightful and so deliciously just, you know. Antithetic. Yeah. He's just, <laughs> he's just yeah. such a military dude. Yeah. And so they activate the ship with electricity unknowingly. And that's what sets off the whole end game where everybody, it's broadcasting basically this psychological signal to activate their race purge memory so everybody is having rage zombie effects and he's like what are you doing you idiot Quatermass says to him and he's like what are you talking about I don't know what you're talking about I'm totally a military man and it just goes to <laughs> shit and then his face melts off in a very <laughs> eerily reminiscent way, way yeah. oh and the best one of the best parts is Quatermass confronts him and is like you sir are a cad and I love how British people can turn the word coward into a one-syllable word. A cad. You're a cad. I'm like, how did you do that? I'm not even sure. And oh, he gets so offended. You called me a card. I don't even know how to respond to that. I'm really pissed. And then so everybody's getting the signal and they're fighting each other, but some people are immune and Quatermass and the girl are like, like running around crazy. But then Rooney grabs Quatermass like, wake up. I need you to help me. What's going on? And somehow I forget Quatermass is like, 
iron. Iron is the way that we can... Roni yeah. thinks of it. Roni thinks of it. It is Roni. Yeah, because he has a sideline in occultism. Mm-hmm. So he's like, iron. Because iron was always how you defeated devils. Yep. And the ship wasn't made of iron. It wasn't magnetized. Iron and water, I think. Yeah. So I, if yeah, we bell book can, and candle, iron yeah. and water. So if we yeah. can find a way to ground it yeah. with metal, yeah. that should short circuit the effect. And there's this huge apparition of a giant horned Martian insect thing that is slowly rising and it's going to take over the world with its rage hatred. And they're like, aha, look, there's a crane right there next to it. Let's get the crane to intersect with the apparition. And Roni starts climbing and unfortunately Quatermass kind of loses his focus a little bit because of the girl. He has and to then, grab Barbara Shelley. Yeah. And, and there's sure, a yeah. thing there. And then he right at the point where he gains clarity and he looks up and the crane is sweeping into the apparition with Roni on top of it. And Roni sacrifices himself and it's so brave and wonderful. And kaboom and the apparition disappears and then everybody just sort of looks thoughtful. Yeah, and it, I I love the closing of the movie. Now now to go back to the miniseries, the the version of the ending is that they take an iron chain that is grounded to water and they throw it at the apparition, and it eventually. And there's an epilogue where Quatermass yeah. is trying to explain this to yeah. the press. Yeah, he has kind <laughs> Which, of a kind yes. of moralizing thing about uh, how we need to overcome our martian heritage and be humans and mm. that, which uh, apparently nigel neal fought and fought and fought with the bbc to include because they thought it was sentimental they thought it was too patronizing yeah whatever, but it's but, incredibly but the, but the, the end of the, appropriate the, for the time and, and i think it le- it yeah. leads it it inclines toward where nigel neal is going in his career it's mm-hmm. like i'm going to say things more and more directly about what i believe in the world i'm not going yeah. to hint around at it i'm gonna Star Trek. Hi, yeah. we're going to have a space age tale that's really just morality. Roddenberryan. Yeah. 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 The ending of the film is so strong where as the credits are rolling, it's Andrew Keir and Barbara, what's Barbara her name? Shelley. Barbara yeah. Shelley sitting just kind of not looking at each other going, <sighs> It, I mean, well, there that is sucked, didn't that it? Yeah. sucked, and there right. there's sirens in the background. There is na- no denouement in the movie, yeah. and I kind of love it. I love yeah. it when movies do their because it's very you, typical of Hammer of this. You movie. don't yeah. you don't need denouement. Yeah. Shit just got real, and we defeated it. And p- lives will go on, and you don't even need to know how because you just know people will figure it out and move on. So instead, we're just going to focus on this moment directly afterwards, where everybody just so- sort of sits down, exhausted, and goes, "What the actual fuck?" Yeah, yeah. dude. So Nigel Neal, yes. I feel like we need to take a pause and talk about some of his works he did in the early seventies, namely Stone Tape and Sex Olympics. The year of the Sex Olympics. The year of the Sex Olympics. Okay. 1968 is the year of the Sex Olympics. I need to hear about this because I find myself fascinated. Okay, so was Sex Olympics first or was Stone Tape first? Uh, Sex Olympics was. Okay. uh, It was an hour and a half, uh, hour 45 thing. 1968, it's in black and white. 
It has some recognizable British actors and a very young Brian Cox. <gasps> I know, right? <gasps> I, I was like, who is that? That looks really familiar. It's fucking Brian Cox. I've just never seen him at 22 years old or however <laughs> yeah. old he is. Yeah. So, so the concept of this is that it's a near future society. Oh, I'll back up a little bit. It takes off on the idea of the Marshall McLuhan idea of television as a cool medium, you know, mm-hmm. something that cools you down as opposed to something that engages you and, and heats you up. Okay, yeah, something um, passive. Yeah, these were very common concepts in the late 1960s. So it it is around a television studio where television now broadcasts every possible thing that you can think of, including sex. Mm-hmm. And so the main people are... People who work for sport sex. So it's competitive sex. <laughs> there are teams mm-hmm. that, and then there, you know, t- you know, certain of them are going to go on to the sex Olympics. But there's also art sex, <laughs> <laughs> which is, uh, in the context of this program, it's essentially a kind of burlesque stripper. Uh, sure. That you see. Okay. Uh, and then the other programs are. This is my favorite. The, the Hungry Angry Show. <laughs> it sounds like something that Kelvin Hatley would come up with because it's it's it's, it's two fat guys in loincloths at either end of a table who are alternately eating and throwing disgusting-looking custard at one another. <laughs> So what's the point of this? I hear you asking. Actually, I don't hear you asking. I hear I, I you staring you, at me in disbelief. You hear giggling uh, is what you hear. Because <laughs> have you seen I'm, this? I have not gotten my hands. But you have seen this on Sex Olympics. Carrie yeah. and I watched it a few days ago. How yes. do you, do you do you own it? Where do you find uh, this? You thing? can get it on Net. Uh, no, I'm sorry, on Amazon Instant. We I paid, have we, Amazon we, Instant. We paid a couple bucks and we watched it. So okay, oh. first. It's worth seeing. Mm-hmm. Second, it's not as ridiculous as I just made it sound. And third, it is much, much darker than it this sounds. It sounds like The Running Man, only more satirical and awful. You've seen those stories that start out like, ha ha, this is really funny. And then it just kind of nosedives into, wow, that's super dark territory. This does that. Mm-hmm. I won't I won't go too much further in explaining that, but the the point of this whole business, sports sex and art sex and hungry angry show, <laughs> is that it's uh there's too much population. There are too many people out there. And so in this benign, this sort of passive dystopia that's going on, they're trying to reduce the population. And so they're making things like sex and food unappealing. Because you're seeing them just all the time and you're overexposed to them. And so people are not inclined Hmm. to mate and they're not inclined to take care of themselves. And so the population will naturally decline. And so the effects that this has on the society is that there's no tension. Tension is the word. They've reduced tension to such a degree that these are kind of passive, gross people. There's uh, There's a wonderful chess playing machine that uh, takes a central role you put a quarter in and the machine plays chess against itself so you can watch it play chess but you're not engaged in any sort of tension way mm-hmm. to see how the, the game, oh, the game goes yeah yeah and so in, and it, 
you know, it's a fairly well-developed dystopia. There's there's a patois that they talk in. There there aren't that many contractions. It's things like I done this, I done that, and everyone's dressed in these paisley outfits. It's black and white, so it's not quite as gaudy as you might think. But <laughs> so it's clearly a projection of 1968 permissive left-wing hippie culture into a future where everything is permissible on television. And this is where we really start, I think, to get Nigel Neal as the social critic, yeah. kind of rubbing up against the things that are happening in the world and becoming mm. increasingly bitter about all of them, right? Mm. Like here, it's maybe equivocal whether he is saying positive or negative or just satirical things about youth culture. But later in the Quittermet's conclusion, I think it's, it's, it's very oh, dark. God, it's a very yeah. dark perspective. So later we get the Stone Tape, which was about 1970, right? Do you have the year there? I don't have the year. Okay, it, it, it's around there. And the Stone Tape is um, where I really went. Oh, Nigel Neal! I need to, you know, do more Nigel Neal. This is amazing because it's a. Um, it was a thing also done for the BBC where it the plot involves 1972. 1972. So it, the plot involves a team of researchers going in and setting up shop in this really old mansion. And uh, they're, they're basically, I can't remember what their goal was. They were going to do some sort of computer programming thing. Yes. But they're, they're electronics experts. They're electronics experts. And the, the server room that they were going to set up is kind of this big stone chamber. And it turns out, as they're setting up the server room, they're seeing things they can't explain. Like there are apparitions and people are being chased out of the server server room. They're, they're terrified. And plot progresses and they learn that, um, yeah, there are apparitions appearing in the server room. So they throw science at it. <laughs> it's Which like, you should oh, do. Well, yeah. It's like, oh, there are ghosts. Let's let's throw science at it and see what we can find out. And so they they learn that the the stone in the room is actually serving as like a recording medium for past human experiences, essentially. Which was apparently a theory at the time. Well, I didn't yeah. Know this. Yeah. Well, yeah. And and it's great stuff. It's a fun idea. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. a really fun idea. It's and you know, nonsense, but that's Oh, fine. well, yeah. yeah. But I Well, I but kinda... as we progress as human beings, we come up with theories and then we discard them as we learn more. And yeah. That's science. And that, that is, is science. That is fucking science. And and I I love the angle of this is something we can't explain. Let's learn more about it and mm -hmm. see what sort of theories instead we can apply. of well, this couldn't be happening, or yeah. well, it must be ghosts. You know what? You saw it, I saw it, and she saw yeah. it. Therefore, we all know it happened. Let us explain it in rational terms. Yeah, and and as I mentioned, there was also this central character, a, a woman who is this master programmer who is very central to the plot, and. And there is this really central theme of using computers to solve this problem. Early computers. And you just didn't see that stuff happening back in the early 70s. 
Nice. I can't it's tell beautiful. you how refreshing that is to see because the usual horror yeah. movie tropes are to run away and to do pseudoscientific nonsense. Mm-hmm. And to have a seance. And, and to engage things in a solitary way. Like, I'm going to go into the dark room by myself. Mm-hmm. But here, the the first reactions are, after the data has come in, let's get our entire team of fucking scientists into that room with all of our equipment and let's figure out what the fuck is going on. Yeah. Yay! Yeah, let's yeah. learn. And it's even better than that, too, because there uh the Peter Brock, the sci- the main scientist guy, yeah. is like the anti-quater mass. He's a yeah. philanderer, he's having an affair with the woman, and he's nothing about it, nothing except I want my career to go, but he's still, ah, I can do this and I'll get my team to go in there. And so it's wonderful in, in the context of the quater mass stuff that he's just such a fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> But he still approaches with science. And it's very funny, too, because they're all working for some like offstage Irish electronics mogul Mm -hmm. who and this they need to defend their research against other teams. And the big enemy is a sort of crazy wild haired guy with dye on his hands who's building an electronic washing machine. (laughs) <laughs> that will electronically detect like the colors that are in your clothes and do the right amount of detergent and stuff for that. <laughs> and so that's that's our big villain. Yes. Is the fucking washing machine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Consumerism is the villain. Oh. So this is oh. great. So you can see the social oh. satire taking a bigger stage in Nigel yes. Neal's work at this point. Yeah. Dear uh, dear listeners. I love the stone tape so hard. One last thing that must be mentioned about the stone tape. Yes. Jane Asher, who plays uh, the female lead. Yes. uh, Most famous for being Paul McCartney's fiance before Ah. he broke that engagement and married Linda. Mm -hmm. Ah. Also, the the little girl in the Hammer version of the Quatermass Experiment. Yes. Yes. So we bring it back around. Nicely done, Mr. Herrigan. Circle of life. Very well done. Well, should we take this podcast out with Quatermass conclusion? conclusion? Yeah, I think we should. This thing is oh, God. dark. Yeah. Okay, talk to me about this. You know, I, you know, this is super dark. It, it is really dark and I don't care for it. Really, Quatermass conclusion uh, done in 1979, known as Quatermass, but you know, edited down as Quatermass conclusion. It is a <sighs> man. You have John Mills as Quatermass. Yeah, John time. Mills, who is a fine actor, mm-hmm. but man, he like for two episodes of four, which are an hour long or just about an hour long, he doesn't have much to do. Like, he's just kind of incidental to the plot. He's just kind of this old, cranky man who's been living in the country for all this time. Then he he gets called in to do a TV show in London, right? Yep. And he gets mugged right before the TV show. And one of the other guys who is also a guest on the TV Joe show. Joe Cap. Joe. <laughs> Manimal. Manimal comes to his <laughs> his rescue. <laughs> Joe Cap, uh, uh, the the actor's name is um, Simon McCorkendale. Yeah, Simon McCorkendale comes I to know, his right. That's a great <laughs> yeah. name because not I one love... you not not one you forget. Yeah, Simon McCorkendale because you had that on the tip of your tongue. If you were a child of the 1980s, you know him as Manimal. Simon McCorkendale comes to his rescue and says, "Oh, I'm also on the show. Please come in." And he escorts 
Queen of Mass into the show. And the TV show goes on in, and Queen of Mass goes, I don't fucking care about science anymore. I just care what happens to what has happened to my granddaughter who has run off and run away from home. He shows photographs. And he shows a photograph. And within two minutes of his statement, uh, the Americans go, oh, no, our space station has been destroyed. And you see it destroyed on live TV. And the Americans go, no, you you said horrible things about science. And um, therefore, you know something about this. And he goes, no, I had, I have no idea. And then it takes like two episodes for them to find anything for Quatermass to do. So... All I can think of is Skylab. I know. Uh, no, no. It's totally in the wake of Skylab. Yeah. That's that. that that's was... one of the strands that leads into this. Yeah, yeah totally. So, I mean. <laughs> Listeners, if you're young enough that you don't know Skylab, you need to Wikipedia that shit and yeah. also go on YouTube and search for Skylab John Belushi. Because <laughs> that's hilarious. Yes, yes, it is. So, so the the main gist of the Quatermass conclusion, aka Quatermass, is that this is a near future dystopia London, as done in 1979, and this near future dystopian. England really involves roving gangs of horrible youth in London. Fucking kids, man. And roving gangs of hippie youth in the The country. The planet people. The planet people. Fuck them anyway. The planet people running running around with like peas, like the letter P painted on their cheeks and plum bobs swaying in front of their eyes running around the countryside. And they're 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 finding like stone circles and Neolithic artifacts in the countryside of England, and um, you know doing all this cultish religious stuff at these sites. After this initial TV show that Quatermass has utterly failed at, and you know watched a space station come apart upon, um, he's spirited away by by Manimal into the countryside where he lives. And um, they kind of hole up and watch the planet people kind of take over this Neolithic site, which is uh, conveniently about 50 feet away from their living compound. And um, all these planet people come in and then there's chanting and saying that they want to be taken away to this other planet. And then suddenly they all disappear. They okay. just vanish. Do you realize that you've spent more time on the plot of this thing that you hate than we spent on any of the others? Oh, I realize that. I'm 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 thoroughly so, drunk. So that's mostly fair. Yeah. Um Do you like this thing? Oh yes. Okay. Oh, oh wow. Yes. Okay, so yes. again we have a disagreement. This is delightful and delicious. Yeah. No, this is fascinating on multiple levels. It's not as good a piece of art as Quatermass in the Pit, for example, yeah. but it is just terrifically fascinating. It it comes well, it comes out of mm-hmm. the late seventies. Um, it comes out of clearly Nigel Neal's fear of of the counterculture. Yeah, uh, comes out of his um, ideas of encroaching age because the whole thing is about age versus youth. Literally, li- very literally, yeah. age versus youth. In that the youth are being vanished in this mysterious thing that's happening 
and the older people are apparently immune to it. Yeah. So it very literally becomes, by the end, a team of elderly researchers yeah. versus these young people who are being sucked up by some sort of alien presence. So the... Uh, I don't even know how to characterize it because it's yeah. mostly it's mostly about mood. So think about mm-hmm. first the really dark British television that you've seen. Things like Prime Suspect or Edge of Darkness or those things. And then also think of your really dark 1970s science fiction horror. And this is exactly in that in that area. It, yeah. It's it's four hours long, it's four episodes, uh, and it is grueling. It's really brutal and wears you down and just when you think you're going somewhere things have turned bad and there's mass murder and there's mm-hmm. just the disintegration of everything in society and even the characters that you like they have uh, unending tragedy in their life and i it's really hard to watch actually. Mm-hmm. it is very very difficult to watch if you em- engage with it emotionally um but i think it does go somewhere i mean it's it's didactic and it's nigel neal at his at his most misanthropistic, mm-hmm. but um, but I think it does have a point, and it does lead to a very cathartic conclusion, which I don't necessarily want to give away because I think people should should watch the end of the Quatermass Saga. Uh, um, but it it's Pat hard. Pat doesn't ever want to give away the ending. Have it's you noticed? Hard. Have it's you so noticed? Hard. It's like, oh, it's no, fair. watch it. No, watch it. I love this thing. Watch it. Dear, Other people might dislike it, but I love it. Watch dear it. Dear listeners, it is on YouTube if you want to see it. Too. It's about rationalism versus romanticism. Yeah. The Joe Cap character, Manimal, I guess. Manimal. I, did, I, don't, I didn't remember that he was Manimal. Oh, he's um, Manimal, man. He's Jewish in this, which yeah. uh, there's a certain amount of point to that because at the beginning he uh calls himself the last of the of 200 generations of learned jews yeah. uh by way of explaining why he's a scientist but then much later in the series his jewishness is pointed out as a way why he, he could be saved as an anti-rationalist to become one of the planet people because he's halfway to belief because mm-hmm. of that so there's well this... the Ju- what it is interesting yeah. because the jewish a cultural thing throughout history is really valued education. Yes. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, they are very Kabbalistic and very mystic in their faith practices. So it's that weird dichotomy. So, yeah. I know a lot of atheist Jews. Yeah. Really? Well, I'm an atheist, and so anybody who turns yeah. atheist, I'm like, good, you got it. Excellent. Because <laughs> <laughs> none of the rest makes sense. <laughs> so, to take it out, Mm-hmm. I quite like the Quatermass conclusion, but you don't. Yeah, I'm so not big on it. Let's wrap that up a little bit. What do you okay. What do you hate about it? What? what you, oh, oh, yeah. Um, what do you not like? I I think once it it was the the um, conflict between old people and young people, I kind of tuned out. I mean, I can understand why that tactic was taken in that period of time because of things that were happening socio-politically in England in 1979. Well, worldwide, it was the first time that the youth movement really had power. Right. So before then, youth were sort of poo-pooed and like, "Mm, look at you, you're adorable. But this in the 70s, it was the first time that youth culture and counterculture really were 
affecting political discourse. I, yeah, I and, and I totally agree with that. I can see why that was a point in the script. What it read to me, though, when I watched it was, oh, you're a cranky old man now. Yeah, it's never fun. Yeah, it it's like the, oh, your your politics are really showing. I mean, like, really showing. Yeah. And there's there's also the angle of it took an episode and a half which is 90 fucking minutes for them to figure out what to do with Quatermass. Mm. You have a series called Quatermass and Quatermass is completely ineffectual until you know an episode and a half in almost two episodes in there's nothing for this guy to do. He's just kind of standing around saying, I don't really want to get involved in, any, in anything. I just want to find my granddaughter. You guys do stuff. Mm. And I feel like that series could be half its length and much stronger. Pat, your well, rebuttal. <laughs> my rebuttal is, of course, it is half the length in the Quatermass conclusion. I agree with that. version. Yes. But it is not anywhere near better. Mm. I think, um, uh, mm. having watched it today. Okay. okay. Um, as always, I think that Melissa's points are cogent and well argued, and I often disagree with them, as I am going to do now. <laughs> this is why I love you, Pat. <laughs> cogent, well argued, mm -hmm. but wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I look at the quitter, the the entire quitter mess thing mm -hmm. as building up increasing layers of darkness. Okay. Um, which the narrative finds harder and harder to push back against. Hmm. Like to have Quatermass actually push back the darkness becomes increasingly difficult in each one of these stories. Mm -hmm. And to the end, it's essentially overwhelming. If listeners, if you watch Quatermass Conclusion with a sympathetic eye, I think you'll find it very hard to take. Um, it's, it's a very dark story and it's not easy to watch and, uh, and, uh, Quatermass himself finds it hard to overcome it mm -hmm. at the end. He does. I guess that's a spoiler too, but, um, <laughs> you're so delicate about this, but, uh, oh, the hero yeah. wins. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to tell you that. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's fair. I, th I think that it reflects the increasing darkness in Nigel Neal's worldview and the increasing impossibility of overcoming that darkness in mm -hmm. the story. And I, I think eventually it does. And uh, I'm willing to acknowledge its cheesiness and maybe its narrative lapses yeah. and and certainly it's cranky old madness right? <laughs> got a hippie hatred that seems a little bit out of date by oh, the God. time that it's yeah. that it's going on but um i in some ways i think it's one of the most interesting of the quatermass oh, i'll agree it's very interesting it's it's um I, I almost think that it would be more successful if it pulled back a little bit or if it went further like, if it's at an uncomfortable middle range where, like, if it went full Mad Max on that shit, it would be great. Yeah, yeah. Like, because you can tell that this antithetical youth culture, this cult that is developed in this script, 
is kind of going in the Mad Max vein. Like if they went crazier and weirder and further with that concept, I think it would be stronger. Or if they pulled it back and played it a little bit more closer to the chest. Mm -hmm. By the way, I'm really drunk. If they played it closer to the chest, I think it would be stronger as well. So it's like at this weird middle zone where it doesn't quite work for me. Hmm. I think that sounds fair. Okay. I haven't watched it. I don't have none. (laughs) Now, Pat. Yes. Are you tipsy? Because you're moving like you're tipsy. Oh, fuck, I'm way tipsy. <laughs> this makes me excited. Now, listeners, if you're listening, you can hear that I'm tipsy, but Melissa still sounds sober, which is one of the great injustices of life. But I'm here to tell you, she walks like a drunk woman right now. <laughs> I never moved well, sweetie. <laughs> I have to take my victories where I can get them. Oh, that that's fine. That's fine. I sound drunk at the least bit of alcohol. It's not fair. All right. Anyway, hey, we have unfinished business. Pat, have I you done wait. have you done the the radio series? I did. You did. It's something that Quatermass fans should listen to. Okay. Oh, uh, excellent. It, it's it's essentially a uh, summary of what we've talked about. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, interspersed with uh, Nigel Neal interviews. Dear listeners, this was a mid-90s thing called the Quatermass Memoirs, mm-hmm. correct? Yes. Okay. So it gives lots of context. It's on Audible. I got oh, really? It. Yes. Okay. Ah. Um, I got it from Amazon. Okay. For a couple of bucks. Well, that's a bargain at half the price. It is. If you don't mind the DRM. Uh, but, uh, but it's worth listening to. It has Andrew yeah. Keir as Quatermass, uh, who was the Quatermass in the Hammer, Quatermass in the Pit. Well, at the time, he was one of the two living Quatermasses, right? Because yes. he and John Mills Quatermass were still alive. Quatermass I. It's a Hammer regular, too. Yeah. He's in so, tons of. Yeah, so Hammer John stuff. Mills, Andrew Keir was still alive, so they picked Andrew Keir, which is a good good choice. I'm, I'm down with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. It gives summaries of Quatermass 1, 2, and Pitt, and it ends right before Quatermass' conclusion. He's going to go to London to look for his granddaughter. Okay. Oh, interesting. And huh, that's female, sort of interesting. Female interviewer sounds exactly like Lala Ward, but it isn't Lala Ward, but never wow. mind. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, um, no it, it, it's totally worth listening to as a Quatermass fan. What I know is when you watch Quatermass in the Pit, you're like, holy shit, that's mm-hmm. Doctor Who. That's every science fiction show that comes after it. That yeah. is. It is the proto John Carpenter. It is the proto Road Warrior. It is. Started Hammer Films. It is the proto Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. It, it is the best of science fiction. It's smart people doing smart things to conquer a greater power. Mm-hmm. And it's it's smart science fiction. It's fun science fiction. It's, it's science it is, fiction where science is dominant. It is science is dominant and science is surprising, and it it plays at the intersection of many things. Yeah, and sometimes you have science in an ideal vein, which was Nigel Neal's original version of Quatermass. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have the mad scientist shade on it. That D- Brian Donlevy does, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's done in a very, very dark vein or a satirical vein, like uh, 
year of the sex olympics and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes sex. more straightforward than that yeah sex no, olympics so yeah i don't know that a lot of people know nigel neal anymore well and they well, should he because sort of disappeared without a trace people still know dennis potter and some of the yeah, other british it's rather amazing he managed to encapsulate so much of what we take as established sci-fi tropes now mm-hmm. sci-fi as idealistic future sci-fi as satirical commentary on the on what is happening right now sci-fi as dystopian worldview i mean and he did it all that's pretty amazing and he did yeah. it well mm-hmm. so good on you dude very well I, I, I mean for as much as i dislike quatermass a aka Quatermass conclusion it is original mm-hmm. it is very interesting i watched it to the end um for you know for as frustrated as i was with it it is still something i feel is very valid and thoughtful and thoughtful i mean well done whether or not you agreed with what it was saying yeah that's something that's kind of amazing, actually. <laughs> I'll also okay. add that it in uh, that it ends the Quatermass story yes. in a way that I think is worthwhile. Yeah, most of these things don't have an ending. Mm-hmm. Franchises, right? Mm-hmm. They just go right. on forever. No, but right. that there's an ending here. It it ends there, and and it's an interesting ending in that Quatermass has turned into himself and. T- not turned away from science, but turned towards humanity. I mean, it could mm-hmm. be it could be argued that where science goes wrong is when it becomes science in a, in a vacuum instead of yeah. science in in the reality of the world or what is moral or right for human for humanity. You know, when when you tell the science fiction stories that they go off in a way that's like, oh, science is awful. It's usually because they've left humanity behind or they're not considering the moral component. So mm-hmm. that's a pretty valid arc. Yeah. All uh, right. Final uh, thoughts uh, on Quatermass. Uh, 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 so drunk right now. It's as good as it gets, you guys. There's I mean, this is. Science fiction at its best. It's true. There is Honestly, yeah. Almost this nothing is better. Science fiction that holds up. If yeah. you like science fiction, period, you should watch Quatermass. Yeah. If you like classic science fiction like um Forbidden Planet or The Day the Earth Stood Still Stood Still. It's great. If you like The Day the Earth Stood Still, you should watch Quatermass. If you like Doctor Who of any stripe, you should watch Quatermass. If you like fuck, if you like Indiana Jones. John yeah? Carpenter. John Carpenter. Yeah. This is a show that was, these are stories that were so impactful that they spread out like ejecta from a crater all across the landscape of sci-fi tropedom. Good like, image. I know. Yes. Bravo nice. me. That was pretty amazing, right? That was good. Yeah, I know. And you didn't hit me with your hand gestures. I know. I kept it out here. I was yeah. very proud of myself. That's good. That's good. <laughs> all right. So, yeah. Melissa... Take us on home. Oh, really? Okay. Well, you started it. Oh, God. I'm so drunk. Um, Dear listeners, thank you for joining us in Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am Melissa, and this has been... Wendy. And we have been joined by Pat Harrigan. Hi. I mean, bye. Yeah, and bye. <laughs> I did that joke last time. I'm sorry. Who, who 
who is an author and an awesome person and should read his stuff and mm. listen to his podcast, Get Off My World, which is a Doctor Who thing. <laughs> it's very good. And it it involves many friends of ours. Yeah. Yeah. Doctor, yeah. Who is a, Doctor Who is a friend of mine. Doctor Who is a thing and uh, closely related to Quatermass and... As I said, I am drunk and I'm probably slurring this, but thank you very much. <laughs> and, and please enjoy your life. <laughs> I never get to hear you sound that drunk. This is so satisfying for me. <laughs> Three bottles of wine. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at XanaduCinema.com, follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. It's drunk quater mass, man. <laughs> we're we're doing drunk quater mass now. I sent a rocket into space. <laughs> it came back with a man full of slime. <laughs> I need you to respect me, cause I'm a rocket scientist. My second rocket blew up. It <laughs> killed I'm, a bunch of Australians. I'm a scientist. I study alcohol. Yeah. And there were the bugs. <laughs> the bugs. The bugs, man. The bugs. Hey, did you ever notice that they look like gargoyles? I feel like this is a racial memory. Mmm, how Jungian. What? Have you seen my granddaughter? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Doctor Who, what are you doing here? Don't call me that. I'm Professor Quatermass. <laughs> Doctor Who... I'm a do- I'm not a doctor. I'm a professor, and my name's fucking Quatermass, not who. Jesus Christ, people! It's not Quatermass s- either, you son of a bitch. Give me some fucking respect. My best friend turned into a cactus. <laughs>